Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Super glad to have you here today to update an older episode, to revisit something that we first talked about in January of 2015. So, oh my gosh, that's over three years ago now. Back in January, in episode nine of the podcast, we talked about carbohydrate spillover. We talked about what happens when we consume more carbohydrates than our bodies need. We talked about how carbs aren't bad, right? They aren't nutritionally essential either, but it's not this binary either we think carbs are critical for health or carbs are the devil and we can't have them if we want to avoid getting fat. It's not either of those things. There is a way to consume carbs where they will not be converted to and stored as fat. Alternatively, there are ways to consume carbs where they are almost sure to be converted to and stored as fat. And we are going to break this down. Again, we talked about this first back in January of 2015, all the way back in episode nine. I will link to that episode in the show notes over on primalpotential.com. But I really want to get back to this because so many people think that either carbs are bad and you cannot possibly have them if you want to be lean and if you have carbs, you messed up, you screwed up, or they think all of this stuff about low carb is just a fad and it's dangerous and it's unhealthy. And the truth is not either of those things. You can absolutely enjoy carbs and not have it contribute to weight gain, right? The answer, though, the how, the what this looks like is going to be different for absolutely everybody. You've probably heard me use the phrase carb sensitivity or carb tolerance before. I've done episodes on both of those things. Everybody's is different and also will change. Where you are right now in terms of your sensitivity to carbohydrates is very unlikely to be where you are a year from now or certainly 10 years from now. Everybody's tolerance of carbohydrate is going to be different, and your goals have a lot to do with it too. Before we get into how you can consume carbohydrates in a way that is not going to contribute to weight gain, I want to address the fact that the strategy for carbohydrate is going to be vastly different depending on your goals. 
So a lot of folks will look at very lean people who eat a lot of carbohydrate and get confused. And I say, there's a difference between maintaining your weight, because that person might not be trying to lose weight. There's a very big difference in terms of what your body needs when you are maintaining your weight or when you are building muscle compared to when you're trying to lose fat. So one of the big mistakes that I see people making all the time is that they look at a very lean person, a very fit person, or they look at their personal trainer and they think, well, if I eat what they'll eat, then I'll get what they get. No, not true. For a number of reasons, most obvious among them, what is required for fat loss and what is required for maintaining are two very different things. And... The health of your metabolism and your body composition have a huge impact on how your body handles fuel. So the body composition of somebody you see on Instagram or of your personal trainer very well might be quite different from yours. And if it is, then you are not going to have the metabolic efficiency of that person, right? So somebody who has 40 pounds more muscle mass than you, or if you have 20, 30, 40 pounds more fat than them, your metabolic efficiency is quite different. And therefore, what you need to do to reach your goals is going to be very different from what they are doing to reach theirs. And I could go on and on and on and on and on about that, but we are going to jump right into it today with that baseline understanding that your body is different from my body, is different from your personal trainer's body or that person you follow on Instagram that you want to look just like, or your sister, or your mom, or you five years ago. When you are paying attention to you, to your body, to what works for you and what doesn't work for you, what drives results for you and what doesn't drive results, then you are going to know what really works for you and what doesn't. What I want to accomplish in this episode, first and foremost, is to understand where and how energy is stored in our bodies. Because when we get that, when we understand where and how food can be stored, it'll help us make better choices when we eat. Obviously, we have to take action on what we know, which is why I'm going to also add this very, 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 very strong intro to what we are about to talk to. And that is, for some of you, this is going to be familiar information, meaning you understand that carbohydrates are long chains of sugars and that the sugar is broken down and it can be stored in your muscle or your liver. And if there's no storage base, it can be converted to and stored as fat. You very well may have heard me or other people say those things before. However, I want you to listen through a new lens today. Instead of having your filter be, do I know this? Yep, check, got this. Yeah, this is old hat. I want you to listen through the filter of doing versus knowing. Instead of, do I know this? Yeah, okay, next. Is my knowledge reflected in my behavior? Am I consistently acting on what I'm like, yeah, 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 I know? And if not, if what you know is not consistently, consistently, 
reflected in what you do, then I want you to listen to this from the perspective of what can I do about this? How can I act on this? How can I shift from knowing intellectually to owning this in my behavior? Because there's a huge difference between knowing and doing, and we have this tendency to check the box of knowing and then tune out without really considering, do I own this? Is it reflected consistently in my behavior? Screw my understanding. I can understand a lot, but what changes my life, what improves my health is what I do. All right, that a deal? Everybody's on the same page there. If this is new to you, cool. Listen, if you have questions, head over to the show notes, leave a comment. We can do a follow-up Q&A episode or I can follow up with you individually and make sure you understand. So if something confuses you, let's clear it up. Let me know, ask, and we'll figure it out. And if this is review information for you, I don't want you thinking about this through the lens of what you know, but rather through the lens of what you consistently do. So we're going to start at the most basic level and we are going to go deeper and deeper and deeper into muscle glycogen, liver glycogen, and then also gluconeogenesis and protein consumption and how excess protein is also a factor in fat storage as it relates to glucose. Because even if we think, well, I'm not consuming that many carbs and I'm working out regularly, if you are consuming more protein than what your body needs, then that is likely, through gluconeogenesis, generating glucose that will be converted to and stored as fat. So let's start at the very beginning. And I just resisted singing that from the sound of music with every fiber of my being because that's one of my favorite movies. Onward. Okay. There are three primary macronutrients, and you could argue that there's a fourth and it's alcohol, but what we're talking about today are the big ones nutritionally, carbohydrate, fat, and protein. Most of us know that, right? When we consume food, foods are either carbohydrate, protein, fat, or some combination of those three. But if you don't understand how and where those are stored in the body, then you can't understand how to prevent weight gain and how to optimize for weight loss, fat loss. It's not just the energy that they deliver and the type of fuel they represent. It's not just fat delivers more energy than protein and, you know, carbohydrate or long chains of sugar. We have to know what our body's storage capacity is for these things in order to really be effective in preventing weight gain and in achieving fat loss when that is our goal. Most of the conversations I have on a regular basis show me that the biggest misunderstandings are actually not about dietary fat. They are about carbohydrate and protein. We're going to focus today mostly on carbohydrate and protein, specifically how carbohydrate is stored in the body so that we can consume carbohydrates in a way that doesn't have us adding to our body fat. The basics. When we consume any of these macronutrients, protein, fat, carbohydrate, in order for our bodies to use the fuel that we have consumed, these macronutrients, carbs, fat, protein, have to be broken down to their simplest parts, right? 
when we consume carbohydrate, whether we're talking about a potato or a bowl of oatmeal or a cookie, the building block is the same. The simplest part that it gets broken down to so it can be consumed is glucose, sugar. Now, sidebar, because squirrels, shiny things. If you want to hear more about fructose, fructose being the sugar form in fruit and how it's different, we're not going to go into that today, but I do go into it in several episodes, including episode 21. I will link to that in the show notes, but if you're curious about fruit and how fruit is metabolically a bit different, listen to episode 21. If Even if you're not curious, if you consume fruit on a regular basis, meaning more than every once in a while, listen to episode 21. Listen to episode 21. Okay, so carbohydrates are chains of sugar. I remember growing up when we would go to the grocery store, my mom would grab a box of ziti or a bag of rice, and I remember looking at the back going, oh, there's no sugar and there's no fat in these right? There's no sugar in pasta. There's no fat in pasta. There's no sugar in rice. There's no fat in rice. This must be like the magical health food. And growing up, we ate a lot of both of those things. I didn't know, and I don't think my mom knew at the time either, that starch is long chains of sugar. So while you'd see carbohydrate on that label and you'd see those grams there, below carbohydrate, you'd see sugar zero, right? And above carbohydrate, you'd see fat zero. Well, it's misleading. And it's not surprisingly misleading because the people that make those labels are trying to sell us the pasta and sell us the rice. And we know so much more about it now than we did 30 years ago. But all of that starch in the potato, in the pasta, in the rice gets broken down to sugar. So it is handled by the body no differently than your Twinkie, right? except for the fact that the Twinkie has more fat, but no different than the Twizzlers. And you see the sugar on the label in the Twizzlers. Well, the reality is that when our bodies break down that oatmeal, that pasta, that rice, that potato, it has to go to its simplest part, and its simplest part is glucose, right? So metabolically, it's being handled in very much the same way carbohydrates are chains of sugar. And they can be long chains, they can be complex branch chains, they can be short chains, but carbohydrate is just a long chain of sugar, whether it's potato chips, pretzels, Twizzlers, rice, you name it, pasta. Vegetable is not a macronutrient, and fruit is not a macronutrient. Vegetables are carbohydrates. Fruits are carbohydrates, the exception of avocado, Now, they're carbohydrate chains. Again, they differ in their lengths and their sizes, so they break down to different amounts of sugar, right? A longer, more branched chain of carbohydrate is going to have more of those base elements of glucose than a shorter, smaller, less branched chain. And then what is immediately needed for fuel when it gets metabolized to that simplest part, what is immediately needed is used for fuel. And then what is left over is either stored in a couple of different short-term storage facilities. They are not only short-term, they are also limited. 
in their size, right? So we don't have unlimited storage. And then what can't fit there because that is a limited storage space gets converted to and stored as fat. The key there is if there is room in those spaces, it gets stored in the form of glycogen or long chains of glucose. But often what is the case and why so many people feel like eating carbohydrate makes them fat is because for a lot of people, there is no more storage space. You filled it up already and you are not requiring your body to use it. We'll talk about how we can do that and how limited that limited space is. But because a lot of people have this accumulation of this short-term storage glycogen, glycogen being long chains of glucose, there's no short-term storage available. And so they are in a position where when they do eat carbohydrates, even when it's not very much, it is being converted to and stored as fat. But we can change that. We can change that. We can change that. All right. Before we talk about that short-term storage space, how limited it is and the limitations of it and how we can turn it over so that there is room so that we are less likely to convert the sugar, the starch, the carbohydrate we eat to fat and have it add to our waistline, I want to talk about this idea of blood sugar. I've talked about this before, but so many people fail to understand it. It is critical, 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 critical that we get this. When we talk about carbs, a lot of people will justify that carbohydrate that they eat because they feel like they need to stabilize their blood sugar. Oh, I'm feeling a little bit of shaky. I need to have this candy bar. I need to have this banana because I feel like my blood sugar is is not stable right now. It's a little bit low right now. Stable blood sugar is critically important, but it doesn't require nearly as much carbohydrate glucose as we think it does. So if we think about all of the blood in our body, stable, healthy blood sugar reflects only one teaspoon of sugar dispersed through our entire blood volume. Just one teaspoon One teaspoon of sugar is less than a quarter of a large banana. One teaspoon of sugar is like the equivalent of one big carrot. And I'm telling you that so that we have some context when we think, oh my gosh, my blood sugar feels a little bit low, got to have a Snickers. Nah, no, no. One teaspoon of sugar that amount that is required for what we consider stable blood sugar is about four grams, right? Four grams. So a large banana has about 17 grams. Think about what happens in terms of what you're thinking you need in terms of stable blood sugar when you have that smoothie with a whole banana and some berries and some milk and some protein powder, you see how quickly that sugar can accumulate far beyond what your body actually needs, especially for those of us that are not doing things that are physically demanding when or around when we consume that thing so our body just doesn't need it. And then what? The excess has to be stored. 
the excess has to be stored. And just keep in mind what I was saying earlier about the misleading labels that say zero sugar. Starch, carbohydrate, is just long chains of sugar. So don't let something that says zero sugar on a food label screw you up. Think about what happens when you've had your morning latte and your oatmeal or a piece of chocolate and a big plate of sweet potatoes. That is so much more than what your body needs in terms of glucose. So then what happens? It has to be stored. It does not immediately turn to fat. So let's not be extreme in, oh my gosh, if I have more than a teaspoon of sugar, it's going to be converted to fat. Maybe, but not necessarily. We can do something so that that is not the case. First and foremost, stable blood sugar is one thing, but fueling your body is another. So if we think about the the Boston Marathon when I'm recording this is just a couple of days away, and I was talking to my cousin the other day, he's running in the marathon, and one of his strategies, he's this peanut of a guy. He's he's probably 5'8", and there's no way that he weighs much over 100 pounds. He's a tiny, tiny, tiny guy. And so he was talking about how he'll make sure that he fuels himself during the race. So it's not just stable blood sugar, but what your body's energy needs are at the moment that you are consuming fuel. For most of us, we're not consuming fuel while we're running a race. So we have to look at, while we're sitting on the couch watching Netflix, while we're sitting at our computer responding to emails, how much fuel does our body really need in that moment? So when you consume carbohydrates, first and foremost, your body wants to keep your blood sugar stable. But that requires very, very little Carbohydrate, the equivalent of about one teaspoon dispersed throughout your entire blood volume. Then, does your body have immediate fuel needs? When my cousin Mark is running the marathon, you betcha. It's going to power through that, power through that. None of that is getting stored because the energy needs are really high. For the rest of us, though, what are your fuel needs while you're just sitting still? Really, really low. They're really low. So... Most of what we consume in that given moment, and we're not consuming carbs in isolation, we're giving our body other fuel sources as well from fat, from protein, generally more than what we need. It doesn't have to be that way, but for the average individual, we are giving our body more fuel than it needs in a moment, and so the rest of it is stored. We have some options for storage when we look at carbohydrate. First and foremost your body is going to store the excess in the form of glycogen. So remember I said when we consume carbohydrates, it gets broken down to its simplest part, which is glucose. That is how our body maintains blood sugar. That is how our body meets immediate fuel needs. But after that, it gets built back up a little bit into these longer chains. So for efficiency... When it is stored, glucose, in short-term storage, liver or muscle tissue, it's in the form of glycogen. Think of glycogen as just glucose linked to glucose linked to glucose linked to glucose. It's just a chain for efficient storage. Option one, 
when you consume carbohydrate is, does my body need to do something, use this to sustain stable blood sugar? Check, that's good. The next, does my body need this energy right now? We're good? Check. Then it begins using that glucose to replenish muscle or liver glycogen stores. That's when we start seeing the glucose linked together in the form of glycogen, and the storage options there are going to be liver and muscle. What we need to keep in mind is that not only is this limited, it's also cumulative. You don't wake up every single day with the ability to just reset. Up, oh, it's a new day. My glycogen is going to, my excess glucose is going to my liver, going to my muscle. It's cumulative. So if you do not require that your body tap into that storage because you are doing an intermittent fast, because you are not over-consuming fuel, because you are exercising, some of those are the reasons your body would need to tap into that, then it's full. This is why so many people feel like if I walk by carbs and I smell them, I put on weight. Part of the equation there is that they are not requiring that their body burn through that stored glycogen. So when blood sugar is stable and short-term fuel needs are met and there's no space, there's no room left in the liver or the muscle, it gets converted to and stored as fat. Here is the other thing that a lot of people either do not know or do not act on. Yes, when we consume carbohydrates, one option is that the excess is stored in the form of glycogen in our muscle tissue. However, your muscles lack the enzyme to release that glucose, to break down the glycogen and release the glucose back into your body to fuel other parts of your body. It is an in-storage only, not an out-storage. What that means is that fuel has to be used by your muscles. It cannot be used later to increase blood sugar, fuel your brain. Nope. Once it is stored in your muscle tissue, it can only be used by your muscle tissue. Your muscle tissue doesn't have the enzyme to let it out to leave the muscle uh, tissue and fuel the rest of the body. Once it's there, it's great fuel for the muscles, but if your muscles are not requiring fuel beyond what you are consuming, then that space is full. You have to use it to fuel your muscles. So for people who are very sedentary, that is one of the reasons that they struggle to lose weight, and they so easily put on weight. Keep that in mind. Your liver, on the other hand, is a shorter fuel, a smaller fuel capacity, but it can go in and out. It can flow into the liver for storage, and the liver can release it to fuel the rest of the body. But once your muscle, your glycogen is in the muscle. The glucose goes into the muscle for storage. It can only be used by the muscle. And when those storage spaces are full, that is when 
glucose gets converted to fat and stored in your body fat, your adipose tissue. There are lots of different ways that we can make sure we do not max out our muscle and liver glycogen, and therefore we have a greater ability to consume carbs without having them be converted to and stored as fat. We're going to talk about that. One way is obviously exercise. One way is not over-consuming carbs or doing intermittent fasting or even some extended fasting or not consuming carbohydrates every day. There's so many different ways to do it. But first, I want to establish how much space are we really talking about here? When the muscle glycogen is taken into consideration, we're going to look at these two things separately, muscle glycogen and liver glycogen, because they work differently. Remember, the liver can go in and out. The muscle, it's in only. Some of this is obviously going to vary because we have more muscle mass or less muscle mass. If I compare myself to my mom, I have significantly more muscle mass than my mom does. Therefore, I have a greater capacity for storing glycogen in my muscles than my mom does. All right? So that's part of it. So these numbers are not going to be exact for everybody. That is why they are a range. How much are we really talking about? 300 to 500 grams in the muscle, which might sound like a lot, but that is only about 1,400 to 2,000 calories-ish. That's not a lot. Anything over that, when it comes to the muscle, it's full. It can't take anymore. And you might be thinking, oh gosh, I would never eat 350 or 500 grams of carbs in a day. Don't forget, this is cumulative. You don't get a reset every day in your muscle glycogen and your liver glycogen. So that storage space is only about not much more than 2,000 calories, but it could be significantly lower. It could be 800, 1,000, 1,200, depending on your muscle mass. Anything over that, that storage space is full. It's not an option anymore, and it is cumulative. I can't say that enough. It doesn't reset every day. Once it's full, it's full until you require your body to turn to it and burn it. And remember, the stuff stored in the muscle has to be used by the muscle. This is why physical activity is such a huge component here. When we look at the liver, that is a smaller storage space, but it's also more, um, more versatile because the glucose can flow into and out of the liver. That is only about 100 grams, so that would be about 400 calories. You might be thinking, well, I would never have 400 calories worth of carbohydrate. Yeah, I think most of you would, but it's cumulative. This is a very, very limited storage option for carbohydrate. For those of you who feel like I can't even walk by carbohydrates without getting fat, understand you totally can but you've got to make sure that you are requiring your body to use that stored fuel 
so that you have more wiggle room when you consume carbohydrate. It's not, oh crap, we have no place to store it. Yes, we do. We recently turned over this muscle glycogen through fasting, through exercise, through a combination of both, or because it's been a while since you've consumed starch or sugar. But when you are consuming starch and sugar every day, for some people, multiple times a day, and also in a quantity that exceeds what your body needs for fuel, and compounding that by not turning over that storage area, not requiring your body to turn to it to meet its fuel needs because you eat so much or so often, yep, when you consume carbs, it's going to be converted to and stored as fat. It just doesn't have to be that way. Most people are not ever putting themselves in a situation where their body needs to fuel itself. Because at this first sign of hunger, snack, meal, I'm a little hungry, I should eat, understand that the sensation of hunger is an opportunity for you to allow your body to meet its fuel needs with your fuel reserves. Especially if your goal is fat loss. That is a really important crossroad moment for you, for your body. I'm all about listening to your body But understand that hunger is a spectrum. And when at the first twinge of hunger, you use that to justify a snack, to justify a handful of this or a bite of this or seconds on that, you are not giving your body an opportunity to use any of your stored fuel. And so you can't be frustrated when you aren't seeing the results that you want. The simplest way to help improve this is to not overeat. So before we even talk about hunger durability or fasting or exercise, just work on not eating when you're not hungry. How many times are you turning to food because you want to eat something but you're not hungry because something looks good, because it tastes good, because it's there? The easiest way, low-hanging fruit, to make an improvement here is not turning to food when you aren't hungry. Not justifying something, even if it's healthy, because you want something to eat, but you're not hungry. Another way is to dial back on the processed foods. Just a little bit less. Or don't drink your calories. Say no to the latte. Get your coffee black. Following the golden rules of carbs and fat loss is huge, huge, huge here huge because one of the fastest ways to not have this spillover effect where there is no option other than converting this glucose to fat and storing it in adipose tissue is not eating as much carbohydrate. The golden rules of carbs and fat loss I detail in episode 195. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Some of the more advanced strategies are going to be things like fasting Working out on an empty stomach, because when you do that, your body isn't first defaulting to fat. We talked about this recently. So many people think, well, if I work out on an empty stomach, my body's going to burn fat. Not if there is muscle glycogen present, which for almost all of us there is. And that doesn't mean, well, then what's the point of working out? Remember, 
We want our body to use up some of that muscle glycogen so that the next time we consume carbohydrate, it doesn't have to be converted to and stored as fat. Here's the other part of it, though. So many people are going to be like, well, I don't eat that much carbohydrate and I'm very active. Carbs are not the only thing contributing to maxing out our muscle and liver glycogen. The other one is actually protein. We've talked about this before. I did an entire episode on gluconeogenesis. But what gluconeogenesis does is create glucose from other things like protein. There is no storage form for protein in the body. So when you consume more protein than your body needs, when you consume more protein than your body needs, it is going to break down to something your body can store. Because it can't just hang out. Either it's going to be used as protein for repair and recovery, or it has to be stored. And it does not have the ability to be stored as protein. There is no protein reserve in the body. It has to be broken down to something the body is able to store. Option number one, via gluconeogenesis, is glucose. Generating glucose, manufacturing glucose from excess protein when we consume more protein than our body needs. And if the body doesn't need glucose in that moment and your muscle and liver glycogen stores are full, guess what? That glucose that was manufactured from that excess protein is then converted to and stored as fat. So do not let yourself off the hook here if you're thinking, well, I rarely eat starch and sugar and I exercise. If you are still struggling to make progress towards your goals, understand that you could be maxing out that storage space because of what your body is doing with the excess protein that you consume. That is a big factor here. A lot of people will wonder how people can consume so many carbs and either not gain weight or be really, really lean. And it comes down to carbohydrate tolerance. The more muscle mass you have, the more glucose your muscles require. And so the faster you're going through that stored muscle glycogen, right? That's a huge part of it. We can't lose sight of that. Everybody's carb tolerance is a little bit different. Activity level plays a part of it. Um, Body composition plays a part of it. And a lot of people will ask, well, how much protein is too much? And everybody's going to have a different answer here. There are no one-size-fits-all answers. First way to look at this is, are you getting the results you want? If your goal is fat loss, What's happening with your measurements? Are they going down? Your waist, your hips, your arms, your bust, whatever it is. Are those measurements going down or are they going up? And if you're like, I don't know, well, start checking your measurements. It's not hard to figure out. The thing that I want everybody to keep in mind is that your body doesn't lie. And we don't have to be confused by information here because our body is always giving us feedback on if it's working or not. What is your goal? 
How are you measuring it? If you're not measuring it, start measuring it. When fat loss is the goal, measurements are one of the best ways to do that. I don't recommend the scale. I've talked about that before. I won't go into that now. But if your goal is fat loss and you're like, I don't know if I'm eating too much protein, is what you're doing working for you? What are your measurements telling you? If what you're doing is working for you, keep doing what you're doing, but keep paying attention. And if your results stop or slow, adjust accordingly. But if you are putting on weight or you're not burning fat the way you want to burn fat, then reducing protein consumption is one thing to try. It's not the only thing to try. You could also say, am I being consistent with the golden rules of carbs and fat loss, which I talk about in episode 195. And if you're not, start there. Or dial back protein. I don't recommend making more than one change at a time. But roughly speaking, roughly speaking, almost all of us eat more protein than we need. Almost all of us. You can meet your body's protein needs with approximately, approximately, half a gram per pound of lean mass. Half a gram per pound of lean mass. And you can Google how to figure out your lean mass. There are scales that'll give you body fat percentage and lean mass and all of that. But honestly, I don't even think, if that stresses you out and you think, well, I don't have that scale and I don't know my lean mass, your body doesn't lie. If you are not getting the results you want, then you can dial back, eat a little less protein, and see how you feel. But I will say I'd rather have you start with the golden rules before protein. Because one of the great things that protein does is it helps to quell our appetite and reduce cravings. So I'd rather see you focus on following the golden rules of carbs and fat loss first. If you're not consistent with that, start there. If you are consistent with that and you're not seeing results, then dial back protein a little bit. Maybe you do that by having one meal a day where you don't consume a protein. So you maybe have a salad with some avocado, but you don't add chicken to the salad. Or maybe you start by saying, I'm not going to change what I'm eating, but I'm just going to eat a little bit less of it. Your body doesn't lie. So too many people are making this overcomplicated by saying, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Listen to your body, adjust and see what happens. Dial back just a little bit and see what happens. Don't don't lose the forest through the trees here, guys. Average protein consumption is too high, but so is carb consumption and fat consumption. So pick one thing, improve it, monitor what's happening with your body. Are you seeing the results you want? If you're not, make an adjustment and see what happens. The big takeaway message here is that if you are going to consume carbs, and really even if you're not consuming carbs because protein is a factor here too, we have to be mindful of that short-term storage of glucose in the form of glycogen in our liver and our muscle tissue. And if you want to be somebody who has more wiggle room with carb consumption so that you're not putting on weight, so that you're better able to lose weight, then you have to demand of your body that it use that stored fuel. And it won't do that if you keep eating and eating and eating and eating and eating. 
There are many ways to begin to make an improvement here. Eating less in terms of your quantity of carbohydrates. If you normally do starch and sugar, meaning you might have sweet potato at dinner and then you have some dessert, do one or the other. The golden rules are a really great starting point here. Alternatively, you could have a couple of days of the week if it's an improvement for you, this isn't going to help if it's not an improvement for you, you could have three days a week where there's zero starch, zero sugar days. If you don't have any days right now where you consume no starch and no sugar, then give yourself a couple of days where you are not adding to that stored muscle and liver glycogen. You could incorporate some fasting. I'd begin with intermittent fasting, I talk about that, I think, in episode 37, but if you just go to primalpotential.com and search fasting, you'll get a whole slew of episodes I've done on that. So intermittent fasting is one way to require your body to use some of that stored fuel, emptying out some of that storage space so you are less likely to convert the fuel you eat to fat. Exercise is another way to do it. And it doesn't just have to be fasted exercise, but that certainly compounds the effect. Working out some, working out more, working out more intensely or in a fasted state. And then the obvious one that I'll say again is stop overeating. If you're going to have some ice cream, maybe you have a quarter of a cup of ice cream instead of half the pint or the whole pint. You have a bite of the cookie instead of three cookies. And these seem so obvious, but when we understand what is happening to our bodies when we give them more fuel than we need, we kind of are reminded that so much of this is in our control. If you know that you're going out on Friday night and they have your favorite nachos and you want to enjoy those in a drink, then understand that you might want to Set yourself up to have more room in your liver and your muscle tissue. So maybe you do a couple of days that are very, very low or no starch and sugar. And maybe you get in a workout so that the meal doesn't have as negative an effect on your body that it might otherwise. This is totally within your control. This is totally within your control. Are you making progress the way you want to make progress? If you are, don't change a thing. If you're not, understand that sometimes it's just a little bit of strategy. I don't want anybody to be afraid of carbohydrate. Just the other night, if you're following me on Instagram, I posted that I got a burger without the bun and sweet potato fries. And so many people commented, oh my gosh, I didn't think you ever ate starch. I absolutely do. But I do it in a way that is infrequent enough that I don't fear that I'm going to get fat because I had a cupcake or some sweet potato fries. It's just being slightly more strategic than you have been. If you have questions about people who eat carbs all the time and don't get fat or people who are really, really lean and eat a lot of carbs, I want you to listen to the episodes I've done on carb tolerance all the way back to Q&A 2, episode 170 was about improving carb tolerance. Episode 199 is on the three stages of carb intolerance. I will link to all of those in the show notes. 
just find a way to seek an improvement for you and practice that improvement. You don't have to do all of these things at once. You don't have to follow the golden rules and eat less protein and work out and do intermittent fasting. Don't do that. Pick one thing that is an improvement for you. Maybe it's the frequency with which you eat carbs. Maybe it's the quantity of the carbs you eat. Maybe it's you add in a couple of low-carb or lower-carb than you are nowadays. Or you incorporate fasting. Or you incorporate more workouts. But not all. Pick a place for an improvement. Practice it. And most importantly, if you have questions for me, This is tough to talk about sometimes because I have a higher baseline of understanding. And so if I am not going deep enough into the explanation, if there are question marks in your head, I want you to tell me. Go over to the show notes for this episode. Leave a comment. I will clarify. If I'm coming at this at a higher baseline of understanding and not breaking it down well enough, I want you to tell me this is our show. I'm not here to talk. I'm here to help you make your life better. So if there's something you don't understand or another question you have, first check out the resource episodes that I link to because you might find exactly what you're looking for in a specific episode of the podcast, whether it's carb tolerance or carb spillover. Uh, Is protein metabolically high carb? The episode we did on that, which is 378. But let's chat about it. Let me know what your questions are because my priority is that you not only understand this, but you take action in a way that represents an improvement for you. So if there's something I can clear up to help you be able or likely to do that, let me know. That is why I am here. I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a really great day. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.